0: Hello, and welcome to the Voice of Reason podcast. This is your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's guest is Rachel, who is a fellow Washingtonian. Rachel had a very difficult childhood and experienced sexual abuse, and then in her 20s, she stumbled upon the idea that she could transition, and that was a path that she was on for about five years, and then she decided that that wasn't for her. And so we talk about her journey and the ways in which she has dealt with her trauma. This is a very deep interview and, uh, she's a wonderful person. It was great to speak with her. So here you go.
1: Yeah. My childhood was really rough. Um, I grew up in, like I said, um, I grew up north of Seattle, um, in the suburbs and it was kind of a, um, a very like fundamentally Christian neighborhood most everybody I interacted with was a part of the same or similar church group and um, So I was raised in that from the get-go It was a weird mix of like very um, traditional values and a traditional mindset on social structure and then also trying to be modern enough to um, collect newcomers Um, So there was some weird overlap between um, sort of reining in um, people as individuals and the things that make them individuals, such as um, sexual orientation has to be a certain way, Um, women have to act a certain way, children need to behave a certain way, Um, reining in people to conform to that, but then also remaining open enough to... Um, be likable. And I think that's something that um, I found later on when I was joining other communities that really um, endeared me to those communities because it felt comfortable. Um, I understood that, you know, we have these rules, but you can also fake it a little bit to um, sort of, like I said, rein in new people. And so I grew up with very, very strict, um, uh, sexual standards and, um, gender standards. Um, we were taught that most things were a sin. Um, it was very much run by the men of the church and growing up, um, we never really talked about anything, um, sexual. It was all very, uh kind of the way that um, some parents prohibit their children from using the actual words um, for their anatomy. It was very much like that to an extreme where we don't talk about it. Sex doesn't exist. We don't really talk about it. Um, We just refer to it as making babies. So my father was a children's pastor and um, From when I was age four until I was age 12, uh, my father sexually molested me, but I didn't have a word for it. And I didn't know what it was at the time because of this sort of repression. Um, And I think that's like a really key thing for a lot of people who were sexually abused as children is, um, you know, you don't know how to explain that what's going on makes you feel bad, especially if you have no context. Um, And so this was happening for eight years. Um, When I was 12, I approached one of my fellow um, churchgoers and mentioned some of what my father did. I was in a place where he was doing it in public at this point. And um, it was embarrassing to me. It made me feel so isolated and gross um, that I trusted this woman to, um, help me. And she tried, she really, really tried. Um, she went to the head people in our church and, um, she told them what was going on and they started an investigation. Um, unfortunately, um, there were some police officers who were members of our church And um, our head pastor got them to speak up for my father in defense of him. And they sat me down and basically said, you're gonna tell the cops that you were lying and that you were making all this up and that you are just a bad child and you've just been doing this because you want to rebel, you want to get more toys or get your way or whatever. Um, My mother at the time didn't believe um, anything wrong was going on. She kind of, um, she was dealing with a lot of postpartum depression at the time after having given birth to my sister. And so I, I struggle a lot with um, some resentment towards her, but at the same time I don't hold her quite as accountable as I hold other people um, because she was sort of debilitated. Hmm. How many uh, brothers and sisters do you have? I have one biological sister. She's six years younger than I am. Um, she's currently living back in Minnesota. Um, she's great. She's like she's given my whole life meaning. I love her to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a stepbrother uh, who's 10 years younger than I am, and um, that's from my mother's second marriage. Mm-hmm.
0: In your Twitter thread, you speak about how being sexually abused uh, instigated a, uh, well, I guess the question is, how did that make your relationship to your body? And then how, did, how do you think that that built towards
1: the desire to transition? Um, I think it had a really big impact um, on my desire to transition uh, later on when I was going through um counseling with my gender therapist um the only kind of dysphoria that came up was um related to the same kind of body parts that in the same way that I was abused um if that makes sense um it was very specific to how I was abused so um it The relationship I had with my body was sort of that I was stuck in this vessel and I couldn't get out of it and I couldn't find a way to stop being treated the way that I was being treated.
0: And how did that affect your relationships with other people in a romantic capacity as you were developing in your teen years?
1: Um, It was challenging. Um, A lot of my romantic relationships ended up also being abusive, Um, and I think some of that was um, there seems to be a correlation between um, having an abusive history and then being um, drawn to abusive relationships later on. It's something of a matter of comfort and thinking you can't do better. Or, like, you know, I deserve this kind of mentality. So a lot of my romantic relationships were also abusive. Um, The ones that were not um, were very strained um, because even though I didn't communicate it properly and I didn't know how to communicate very well with them, um, I didn't want to engage sexually with most of them and I didn't... um, I didn't react to their advances in a way that gave them a the chance to learn.
0: Mm-hmm. How did the idea of transition, um, how did you find that? Where did that come from for you?
1: So that, um, that idea had never popped into my head until I was in my early twenties. And I was finally trying to come out as a lesbian. Um, and I started online dating I went on this date with a trans woman and she the whole time she just kept saying like you're not a lesbian you're not a lesbian I was like really confused like well I know I've dated men in the past but why am I not a lesbian and eventually she was like well it's because you're a trans man you've never been a woman and I was like what are you what are you talking about and so we talked further about it and she's like well are you you seem uncomfortable with your body in these ways. And um, you seem to have these certain mannerisms and likes and dislikes. So that seems to be more associated with being a man than a woman. And I was like, okay, sure. Hmm.
0: And so you just started that, that idea took root there. And how did it gain momentum enough to want to enact that?
1: Um. So like, so many others before me and after me I started researching things online um, I did not go into the world of tumblr which I'm really grateful for um, <laughs> but I did a lot of research on reddit and lots of YouTube videos um, and the more I did that the more I was drawn to this idea that um, all my anxiety could be swept away all the things that I'm feeling about my body and the insecurity I have And the defensive um, qualities that I've developed, the fact that I don't feel safe or comfortable in certain situations, I felt like that was inappropriate and I wanted that to go away. And I thought that if I were able to change my body, that those things would go away.
0: Was uh, transition a physical thing? Were there did you try acting more like what you thought a man would be acting like, and adopt mannerisms and kind of transform your personality?
1: I did um, at first, um, and it was really it was really awkward because I was really bad at it. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I had this just hugely skewed version of manhood and womanhood like I couldn't possibly know how to act like a man so my interpretation was basically act like a teenage boy and it was greatly inappropriate and I it's a lot of cringe a lot of cringe
0: (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean like what could you describe this persona that you adopted
1: Um, I made a lot of sexual jokes all the time, which um like in circumstances that absolutely didn't warrant it. Um, I also tried to like have sort of machismo like always be the strongest person in the room kind of thing. And I'm five foot three and at the time I was like ninety pounds. Like there's no way (laughs) Um, some
0: can pull it off.
1: Some people can, that's true. But I uh I I just didn't, yeah, I didn't perfect that, and I'm okay with that now. But at the time, it was kind of painful to go through because I felt like, oh, I have to I have to be this like hyper masculine thing in order to achieve this goal that I want. Um, Later, like I said, that later that became more flexible. Um, But yeah, at the the beginning, like prior to taking hormones, and then. for the first like six months of taking hormones, it was, um, I was pretty hyper-masculine and tried really hard.
0: How, how did it feel like that? Those first,
1: uh, few months on hormones? Um, it was scary and it was kind of addictive. Um, I'm, I know other people, other detransitioners have, um, kind of mentioned before that there's this weird, um, addictive feeling you get when you're taking testosterone. Um, some of it is, uh, physical and I think some of it is psychological. Um, physically you get used to having lots more energy and you get used to, um, being like more sexually driven and, um, You know, supposedly all the dots have connected, so you think you're feeling more connected to your body because of these things. Um, And then the psychological aspect is that um, you're told constantly by your community and by yourself that without this thing, you're incomplete. So you become dependent upon it. So I started to feel that way, like right out the door. Um, And it was exhilarating in some ways, but then it was also really scary because my body was doing things that I had never planned for. Hmm.
0: How did you, uh, how did you react to the changes in your body? Then did you start to move? Did your body start to move toward this ideal that you had of, of being a man?
1: Not at all. Um, it actually was, uh, really painful. And I thought about quitting, um, just a few months in, and I really wish I had, but um, hmm. I uh, told my therapist, you know, I'm starting to grow body hair and facial hair. I'm starting to lose the hair on my head. My voice is changing. And these things, like, I had first thought those would be good things and that those would make me feel better in my body, but they were so drastic changes that I... I think I became more distanced from my body, and that was terrifying. Um, So I did not handle it well at all. Um, I really seriously thought about quitting, and, um, yeah, it kind of broke me a bit.
0: How long were you on testosterone for in total?
1: Uh, Five years. Okay, okay.
0: And did that that first – scary part kind of become normalized for you you kind of fit into it and got more comfortable with it it
1: uh it ebbed and flowed um there was always kind of a discomfort of like trying to figure out how to work with what was happening um but then there were other times where I sort of took the approach that the community I was involved in had where it was like no be proud of your differences and like really shove it in people's faces that you deserve space and everything, which to a certain degree I agree with. But, um, at the same time, (laughs) it was sort of enabling me to bury these very serious feelings that I was having of discomfort.
0: Mm -hmm. Was there a person that you were pursuing? Did you in changing your name and changing your body? Was there this, uh, person that you were becoming or that you were unlocking? What was your relationship to that, that part of the transition, the personality or person? I
1: think, um, and it's, (laughs) I haven't really said this out loud before, but, um, it's really messed up. But I think that I was trying to become a better version of my father in a way, um, Mm -hmm. because I wanted to be able to be, I, he was the only man in my immediate family that I had interactions with. So I wanted to become a man that um, that I could look up to if I were still a child, if that makes any sense at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you have a mentor during this time? Did you have somebody to look up to that was a man? No, not or really.
1: Crowdsourced
0: in a community
1: Format. Yeah, it was. It was more just kind of um, getting to know people in the community and picking bits and pieces from different people and um, trying to align their experiences with um, where my journey was going.
0: Hmm. Did you? How far into the chemical transition was it when you started to? have serious doubts or allow yourself to experience the doubt with that transition?
1: Um, I was, I was about, I think I was about four years in. um, I started to have really serious physical side effects. um, And that's what really initiated me considering detransitioning physically. Um, I had, plenty of issues with the community and the social structure and all that um but I kind of like that was a separate issue for me is like I can deal with that separately but transition is my individual experience and then um yeah about 4 years in my um kidneys started to fail and mm-hmm. I started seeing a new doctor and she was astonished and appalled at the amount of testosterone I was on I forget the dosage now it's I think I posted somewhere in my Twitter about it but I was on a really high dose Um, and she indicated that if I stopped or decreased at least testosterone that would do wonders for my kidneys and so I tried that and it did
0: what were the other effects that it had to begin to decrease your dosage
1: Um, I was uh, starting to have high blood pressure. And my mom has high blood pressure. And so I was concerned that that was going to become an issue, especially because I was I'm so young. Um, And uh, I also was just feeling so much more dependent on it than um, when I first started it. I don't have the research to back this up, but I um, have read some articles that have suggested that when you take testosterone, you kind of have to keep amping up your dosage because your estrogen levels are going to still be there. You haven't taken away what's, unless you've had um, your ovaries removed, you haven't taken away the thing that creates estrogen. So that's still there. And it is going to fight that testosterone, so you have to kind of keep amping up. And um, I, like I said, I don't have the the source for that, but um, I kind of felt like that was true, just because over the years I'd had to go up and up and up in my dosage. That I was at a dangerously high amount now, and I still, I was, I was having all these bad side effects, and I, I was still struggling with low energy and not feeling like i had when i first started and i was really addicted to that high
0: did your doctor enable that or just go along with it or question you at all or do you Um, feel like you were cared for or just kind of allowed to um
1: so my the last doctor i saw before i or before and during when i stopped hormone therapy um, she was kind of hands off. Um, she wasn't a bad doctor. I think I could have gotten further with her if I were able to see her more regularly. Um, but she was a little bit hands off and just kind of like, you do what you want to do and I'll sign off on it. My first doctor before that, um, who prescribed me the hormone therapy, um, she was, she had very poor treatment. Um, procedures um I believe I was mistreated by her um she not only enabled me but she pushed me very hard to get surgeries that I told her specifically I did not want um she threatened to withhold hormone therapy until I got a mastectomy which I don't need and did not want um and I couldn't even afford And um, she also refused to do blood tests um, as regularly as I knew I needed. Um, She made it very challenging to keep up on my hormone levels and to like really monitor anything.
0: Do you have a sense of why she was like that? Is it just uh, incompetence or was she acting out? uh, And this is total speculation and I'll put that out there. So you don't even have to answer this question. But do you think that she was acting within an ideological uh, way or
1: was it something else going on? I I don't know, because, again, it is speculation at this point. I don't have contact with her anymore. I do think it was a little mix of both, to be honest. Um, I think she was very ideologically involved. She worked directly with the gender clinic that I was seeing uh, my therapist at. So she definitely had a vested interest in kind of maintaining that, that system mm-hmm. of you go to therapy for a few weeks, you get a signed letter, you bring a signed letter to me, and I give you medication. Um, so it was, you know, a guaranteed paycheck for her. But then I also think some of it was just lack of knowledge. She, she was very transparent about the fact that there were no studies done on long-term use for hormone therapy at the time. And, um, she would tell me pretty consistently like, Oh, I don't know what that's going to do. Oh, I, let's just give this a shot. Who, who knows what's going to happen. So, um, looking back, I probably should have taken that as a sign, but again, Mm. yeah, cannot, cannot change the past. Before you, uh,
0: took steps to detransition. Um, how far do you think that you wanted to go with, uh, transition? Um, mm. we're
1: going to go all the way you think? Um, I had no desire for surgery. Um, okay. I, I remember thinking at the time the best possible option for me would be to look like a man so that in public and by strangers, especially, I would be treated a certain way. But in my own private life, I didn't want any surgical changes.
0: Hmm. How was it to be treated like a man? Did you pass and did that give you comfort or solace or?
1: Um, I didn't pass very well or very frequently. Um, Part of that is later on, I sort of adopted the, um, the new trans outlook of being extremely effeminate and blending gender stereotypes, um, mm. in fashion and things. Um, I looked very envy. Um, but, uh, when I was like doing my sort of hyper masculine persona, um, I passed a few times and I just felt really out of place. And mm. I felt like, not, I didn't feel unsafe, exactly. And that's one thing that I think is interesting. Like, when I was using, like, I would use the men's room occasionally. I prefer to use single-stall bathrooms. Um, but when I would use the men's room, I didn't feel unsafe particularly or, like, I would be found out. I was just like, this is awkward, was hmm. the biggest feeling I got.
0: Hmm. And when you decided when when was it that you decided that you were no longer going to be trans
1: um i had had all these medical issues and i was trying to discuss them with my trans friends who were mostly trans women um and they were these particular individuals were kind of the more militant type of trans people um So as I tried to discuss these things with them, they got very aggressive and very defensive. Um, And I tried to explain to them, like, I I don't know why you're taking this as an attack when this is something that's happening to me. And there's a direct correlation between my hormone therapy and these medical side effects I'm experiencing. Don't you want to kind of know about that because they were on hormone therapy and considering surgeries. And I was always very concerned like about the medicalization of trans people in general. Like, why are we made to be constant and permanent patients? Like why, why are we this, uh, dollar sign for doctors? Um, so I got a lot of resistance from them. And then I, started researching a little bit on detransitioners and the stuff they were saying, um, they were pretty gentle. Like I had been told like, don't read this, don't listen to these people. They're so wrong. They spread all these lies about the trans community. And I like broke that rule and started listening to them. And I was like, wow, why are we telling other trans people not to listen to them? (laughs) What they have Mm. to say is really important. Um, and the more I, listen to that stuff, um, the more I was like, you know, I don't know if I've ever really been trans. Like the, the feeling of fear and disgust that I felt with my body both before and during transition, it hasn't gotten better. Um, so if anything, I, I may not be detrans, trans, but I'm not trans. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you, uh, have to, de-transition out of uh, uh, the community? Uh, Did you have to leave the community as you left uh, that path that you were doing with your body? Or were you able to maintain relationships in that?
1: I was not able to maintain relationships, unfortunately. Um, But I had been um, kind of losing relationships um, pretty consistently before even de-transitioning because I kind of was always the asshole who is, like, trying to bring up, like, well, that's actually not true, and the way that you're pers- presenting that to this whole community is kind of not beneficial, because um, I'm I'm always the person who wants to be the squeaky wheel, and so I lost a lot of... I, I burned a lot of bridges, I should say. I didn't lose necessarily, but I kind of destroyed those bridges myself. Um And some of that's okay. Some of the relationships um, I wish I had been able to maintain and the vitriol and the hatred I've gotten from those people since has been really hurtful. Um, Mm -hmm. But I've also sort of made peace with the fact that they see me a certain way and I can't change the way that they see me.
0: Did you um, reinvent yourself on an internet level uh, or did you just uh, slowly... Transition your internet presence to to speak about what you speak about now
1: um So I hadn't really ever used Twitter before and so I chose to Start a Twitter for detransition purposes um, And for what I speak about um, Because it was a new outlet Um, I will admit I I keep my Facebook to be more of a private um social interaction. Um, that's more for like my personal friends and things like that and photos. Um, so I don't really speak as much about DuTran stuff there. Um, but Twitter was like this whole new outlet for me that I could use and it was great and I found so many people I could connect with there which was new and fantastic.
0: Do you see yourself as an advocate or an activist? And if so, then what 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 do you think is something that you're trying to bring awareness to or attention to, if you think of yourself that way?
1: For a while, I thought of myself as an advocate. Um, I don't know if I do right now. Um, I've been kind of hands off lately, uh, dealing with my personal life. Um, I... I guess I would like to get more involved. Uh, the Peak Resilience Project is awesome. I love what they're doing. Um, I love what like, uh, what GNC-centric Ben is doing. She's doing some like awesome, awesome stuff. Um, so I would love to get more involved, but <clears throat> I also don't know if it's the right time in my own life, so for now yeah. I'm kind of viewing myself as like a voice in a crowd like i'm there i'll i'll be happy to chime in if people have questions but for now i'm just kind of like a little bit standing on the sidelines
0: when you when you began to detransition did you what happened with you brought up that there was a lot of fear and disgust inside of you how did you was transition blocking that or was it just something else? And then how did you start to, to face that and and to focus on that?
1: Um, that's still a process that I'm working on. Um, it's, I, I feel like I've made some progress. Um, but, um, it's been very difficult. The main thing for me has been, um, like finally coming out as a lesbian has, mm. I don't i don't think of that as like the crux of everything. That's not the solution. There's no one solution to all of this. Um, but it has helped me become more comfortable in my own skin knowing that um, I'm allowed to have the feelings and have the orientation that I have um, when that was something that I, fought against myself for a long time I had a lot of internalized homophobia Um, and I think that's where a lot of the disgust came from uh, over time was I was raised in this strict homophobic environment and that all that stuff got turned inward Um, so being able to address that head-on and acknowledge it has been really helpful Um, otherwise Um, I try to just sort of acknowledge, um, the stress and the, the anxieties that I have around my body. I don't have as much disgust anymore. Um, I have been through two surgeries this year because, um, of endometriosis. Um, I was diagnosed back in February. What is that? endometriosis is um, a disease where um, tissue that is similar to the uterine lining grows in places other than the uterus Um, so it can grow and it the way that it spreads is similar to cancer in how fast it spreads and it's fueled by hormones Um, and so it can infect your organs and for me I had um what's referred to as deep infiltrating um which means it had started to um infect my uh my liver and my uterus um and once it does that it can start shutting those organs down. Hmm. So it's like really dangerous it affects one out of 10 women. Oh. Okay. Yeah.
0: And was that um how was uh, did testosterone enable that or is it related at all to your transition? I don't
1: think so, but I don't know. Um, My doctor Mm -hmm. thinks that it's possible testosterone actually helped in a weird way. Um, She thinks that because the main hormone that uh, fuels endometriosis is estrogen, she thinks that the testosterone may have blocked some of the estrogen from encouraging Mm -hmm. that disease to progress. Um, So I don't know for sure though, I'm really curious.
0: This is a, uh, I don't know if this is a proper question or not, but how is your relationship toward men or just the idea of, of men changed over your life? Cause it seems like you, you had a very, uh, negative experience with your father. And then you, you said that you attempted to become a better version of your father. And, uh, I'm wondering, uh, there's a lot of different ways for somebody to process, uh, that? How do you feel towards men or the idea of men? And... Oh, that's a tricky question.
1: Um, so I struggle a lot with uh, sort of lumping all men together. And okay. um, I definitely like, especially when I'm kind of out in the world doing errands or public things, um, I'm always aware of how like the ratio, like if I'm the only woman on the bus and the rest are all men who are strangers to me, um, I will feel a little bit more on edge and hmm. aware of the situation. Um, I mean, I do. I have I have complex PTSD from all the stuff my father did and all these things. So I'm trying to work on that and trying to separate the feeling of being unsafe from the reality of being unsafe and recognize when either is happening. Um, and that's a big part of it. But I guess um, I have a lot of sympathy for men too because I feel that men, you know, just like women, have these stereotypes and these um, these roles that they just absolutely cannot fit 100% into. Um, but there's that expectation Um, I feel like men deal with, um, the expectation of being overly sexual and overly violent and aggressive so much that, um, you know, we see it even in, in boys and young men, and it's not fair. Men deserve the right to be able to express their feelings and to be more than just sexual creatures and all these things.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Have you, um... Have you uh, gotten the chance to become a role model yourself or a mentor yourself to uh, younger people?
1: Um, yeah. When um, it, the the trans aspect wasn't as much a part of it, um, but uh, in some of my social work, I worked with um, at-risk youth um, in my community, and that was... Um, a really interesting experience um, being, I, I was sort of entering this space where um, I hadn't been precisely, there were a lot of um, differences based on race and culture that I had no firsthand experience with. Um, but then we had this link of um, experience with poverty, experience with sexual orientation and you know, harassment, and all these different things. Um, and so we were able to connect on these levels, and it made me feel really good to be able to um, learn from them too, like how this next generation is dealing with things, especially with like all the technology and everything. Um, mm-hmm. Figuring out how they are developing their own coping mechanisms—it was really
0: interesting. Hmm. Do you, was there uh, has there been an aspect of your social work that has been therapeutic? for you or or, um help you deal with your your trauma your your post-traumatic stress
1: a little bit um i do often say that um it has a lot of selfish qualities for me in that Hmm. i get a lot of the reward of being able to feel like i've helped somebody especially somebody younger um and uh for me like being able to help um uh kids who are dealing with abuse in the home. Um, that has been hmm. exceptionally difficult for me in my own personal way, but then it's also been the most rewarding, um, being able hmm. to know like that they have resources and that they might be in a better position than I had been. Hmm.
0: Uh, when did you... What what initiated you um saying to yourself that you weren't gonna transition anymore? Was it a gradual thing or did you have to say I can't do this anymore? And it was rooted in, I guess, like a medical issue or whatever issue?
1: Um, so it was something that I was considering because of the medical stuff and I was sort of like downgrading my dosage level, um, so that I was like on a pretty low dose already. But then when I decided to stop and really accepted the fact that like I needed to de-transition, as in I need to stop and work towards not identifying as trans. Um, that was all like very sudden. Um, and again, it was somewhat initiated by the social interactions I was having. Um, not um, it, those weren't the only influences by a long shot, but. Um, Having such distance from my community when I needed them most was really hurtful um, And I kind of took that as a sign of like well, maybe there's maybe there's not as much to this community as I had thought and hoped um, I need to figure this out on my own and learn to um, process this on my own in my uh, With my own knowledge and things that I can learn on my like own time and um, so instead of being influenced by other people sort of telling me, like, you should do this or read this or, you know, those things um, that I had sort of become reliant upon over the years, um, I started to just process things myself and, like, even things that were so simple as, like, making pros and cons lists. Like, okay, yeah. if, I, if I keep going on testosterone, what are the pros, what are the cons, and um, and eventually, I just figured, nope, I need to stop this. Um, so it happened pretty quickly. Um, in that, I felt sort of abandoned, but that was good. I kind of got pushed out of the nest a bit and had to think mm-hmm. on my on my own.
0: Did you Did you have to transition back into who you were before you transitioned? Did you change your name back? Did you start to change your behaviors or?
1: Um, I didn't really change my behaviors or at least not consciously. Um, uh, I did change my name back legally, uh, to the name I had had before legally changing it during transition. Um, I hadn't done a lot of other changes. Like I didn't change my birth certificate or my sex marker. So fortunately that process was really easy for me. Um, I got really lucky with that. Um, I did kind of, go the opposite way for a very short time where I was like, I need to be super duper feminine. Like Mm. I need to have all the girly shit. And I think some of it was performative, but mostly it was just like, I missed this. Like I missed Mm. having this in my life as much because I had restricted myself so much before where it was like, even things that I wanted, I wouldn't allow myself to have or wear or like because I thought, oh, that's feminine. I can't enjoy that
0: was uh what what is the quality of the feminine that you find enjoyable can you describe
1: that i think uh it's kind of shifted a little bit since then but at the time it was um i really liked being flashy i really liked all the makeup hmm. and all the hair stuff and Um, being able to be noticed for being spectacular. And now it's a little bit different where, um, Hmm. my version of femininity is, um, kind of just whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm enjoying is Hmm. feminine in a way. Um, I'm not answering this question very well, but, um, no, it's a weird question. (laughs) (laughs) I, I just, I don't know how to like describe it very well. Um, I guess. Sometimes I like to wear jewelry and sometimes I don't. And when I wear jewelry, I consider myself a little bit more feminine. Um, But I also think that to some degree, a lot of what I do is intrinsically feminine because of the way I was raised with gender roles and because of being raised as female, um, I've kind of gravitated towards things that are usually marketed more towards women
0: mm mm-hmm. mhm. Do you um do you pursue masculine behaviors? Do you uh are you kind of gender fluid in a way where you find yourself uh donning masculinity in certain respects or this is a really weird conversation. I was just uh I'm just following a curiosity of mine.
1: No, this is good. Um I think it's all subconscious for me. I don't think um I'm like, like I don't wake up in the morning and think like today is a butch day or you know anything like that. <laughs> um, I I think like there are certain things that I enjoy. Like I I enjoy working with my hands and I enjoy working with tools. So it's like if there's something that I can build and work with, then I am probably going to gravitate towards doing that because that's something I enjoy. Um, I guess like to some degree, people might label it as gender fluid. Um, I prefer gender non-conforming and I think yeah. that a lot of people who consider themselves like non-binary or gender fluid because of their mannerisms and because of their affinity for things or dislike for things I think what they really mean is gender non-conforming
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you find um, have you found a community uh, after transition uh, or do you feel that you're just kind of a one voice in the crowd and you just kind of, do this big, uh, kind of circular dance where you're just meeting partners all the time. Is there a community that you
1: have? Um, not really. Um, I'm a part of the online community through Twitter, um, which I'm super grateful for, but I'm not great at, um, I'm not great at like constantly communicating online. So, I'm not really um a great member of that community like I don't, I'm not as vocal as some of the other people um but I am like happy to have them there when I need them um as far as like my personal life interactions and everything, I feel really isolated. I mean, hmm. I live in fucking Seattle. This is like so woke and progressive here um it feels pretty. Challenging finding anybody who would even be open to discuss discussion on any of this stuff.
0: So you do feel that there is a orthodoxy where you live about matters that matter to you. Then definitely. Why do you think that is? Why Why do you think that Seattle's become so rigid like that
1: in that way? Um. Oh. That's a good question. Um, I think some of it is the so- societal background um, that we've had here of being more of a liberal place and um, mostly uh, specifically Seattle, the city, less so like when you get more to like Eastern Washington. Um, but in particular, I think a lot of it has been politically driven as well as um people sort of leaving other parts of the country thinking Seattle, you know, like there's keep Portland weird and there's Seattle and they're freaks. So like, if I go to the Pacific Northwest, like I'll find my place. It'll be fine. I can be my freaky self, which has its ups and downs. Like it can be good, Mm. but it can also mean that there's a higher concentration of, you know, one kind of people here. And anytime there's that, sort of high concentration, you start to push other people out and you start to push discourse and constructive criticism out.
0: Hmm. Do you feel that there, how, how would you envision discussion returning, uh, or openness to discussion returning? Do you have any insight in how to, how to push people back towards communicating
1: better Um, take away their phones man (laughs) like stop letting them stop letting them get so in invested in internet battles and shit like all this stuff Mm. where um people are online just spewing like these extreme emotions and they don't i don't think any of us really um when we get into that headspace online we're not really feeling the emotion that we're portraying So it's kind of a mismanagement of the filter um, Hmm. between us and what we're putting out. And um, I think that that would help us if we if we took that away for a little bit, we might relearn how to communicate better in real life, um, Hmm. because that's a big part of it is we'd rather communicate in these extremes online and without having to identify ourselves than actually conversing face to face
0: huh, do you think that that leads to uh if do you think that that amps up the uh let's just say uh r o g d um, kids uh, rapid onset gender dysphoria do you think that the there's an online component and was that involved in your desire to transition um this uh online kind of lifestyle
1: I think that there's definitely um a huge component of that in um, people transitioning, especially today, Um, I think, I don't think that that really affected me quite as much. I think um, my generation was like, just a half step before that really came about to be um, the prescription of like, you know, you go on Tumblr and you learn about trans and then you meet trans people at school and then you go down that road. That's something that's a story I've heard from a lot of younger trans, uh, detransitioned people and trans people. Um, and I can definitely see how, if I were younger, um, that's the road I would take. Um, at the time though, I didn't, mm-hmm. um, get involved in Tumblr, I wasn't super active online. Um, I did a lot of research on, like, I, I'm, of a nerdy person so i did a lot of research on like scientific and uh, medical studies so i um liked to really look into like endocrinology and figuring out like well why does it feel better if i take testosterone because of this this and this um figuring out kind of more the biology behind it uh was more my route um And also the the psychological aspects of, like, um, I was so in my head. I don't think I needed to be online. I was just, like, completely mm. convinced that I needed, like, an all-in-one solution to my anxieties.
0: This is kind of a Jungian question, so I don't know if you'll jive with it or not. Do you, do you feel that you've integrated it, the good father into you psychologically? do you feel that that you have a handle on that which you said that
1: you were pursuing that's a good question um no <laughs> um i still struggle a little bit with um like my daddy issues um and wishing that i'd had a decent father figure um or wishing that I could be a decent father figure. However, um, I'm also at a point where I am trying to appreciate myself and appreciate my role um, in whatever it is that I'm doing. So um, it's more on a small level that I am able to cope with uh, my father issues. Um, When I start to kind of get lost in my feelings about it. Um, hmm. It's still very difficult to come out of that. Um, but I don't fall into that feeling as easily. And um, I guess, I, I don't want to say I don't need a father figure exactly, but I'm past a point where it's, like, as um, as crucial to my yeah. development.
0: in if you were to be asked this question, that's a stupid way of asking a question. Um, what are some, what's some of the advice that you would give to somebody who's dealing with uh, childhood sexual abuse, things that, that have helped you to to cope and, and to grow up around that um, through that past that.
1: Um, speaking up is the biggest thing. People are going to, assume that you're making things up or that you're exaggerating or people might not listen or it might seem like people are not listening, even if they are, but just speak up, be annoying about it because it's a real issue and it's not something to be, um, it's not something that anyone deserves. Hmm. No one, no child has ever deserved to be abused, um, and treated that way. And, uh, if there's, any young person who's struggling with that even if it's something that um like was a, a past issue but has kind of resolved don't dismiss it don't let it become something that um is normalized because it's not normal to be treated that way
0: mm-hmm. what are how is uh, how have you uh, gotten a handle We're, did it do you do you see that as having a, a major impact on your life insofar as you were stuck in development um, until you dealt with that, or do you feel that you've been trapped uh, in a particular part of your development and have you been able to get through that, or is it like a persistent
1: thing? It's uh, yeah, uh, um, I've felt stuck as like a teenager in an adult body for a long time, just because of the issues that I've had. Um, and a lot of my behavior, um, and sort of my, my tendencies in my relationships have been, um, very similar to that be to that age range. So, um, dealing with that, um, has only really come about over the last like year or two. And I'm still kind of, trying to manage that and trying to figure out how do I progress how do I grow more um and how do I acknowledge when I'm falling back on that that person that that child perspective um but it's very difficult and it's really frustrating too when I recognize it and I can't stop it <laughs> and What do you mean? Like There like will sense. Sorry.
0: Just in what sense like
1: um there'll be times where um like i'm having a conversation with a friend and i start um acting all pouty or i start like getting over emotional about something and i'll sort of like see myself acting this way and i'm like why am i behaving in this way why why is this the the go to for me um and i sort of reanalyze it and i have to <laughs> kind of call myself out and be like, no, no, I'm acting like a child right now. This isn't (laughs) appropriate. Oh no. Has therapy, uh,
0: been helpful to you having a therapist and what kind of therapy is, has been good for you? If there is a kind, I'm curious about how that, that helps or if you've been doing it mostly on your own.
1: Um, therapy has helped a little bit. Um, I've, found it really difficult to find a therapist who doesn't want to push me back into being trans um, part really? of that though yeah part of that is um, I am looking at therapists who deal with LGBT people um, because I'd like someone okay. who can address sort of um, like the the issues around internalized homo- homophobia that I have mm-hmm. um, and so in doing that um, I found it Really challenging finding someone who's impartial on the trans issue.
0: Um, Somebody who's skilled with gender and and I guess uh, homosexuality and those issues. That's not necessarily uh, affirmative with transition. Correct. And so, most in in your experience, a lot of the people who are in the LGBT service um, services um, are pro transition, and so end up pushing words or advocating people in that direction?
1: Yeah. Um, like my last therapist, he was pretty great until um, and we, we had avoided the conversation of D-trans stuff until this one time and we're talking about it. And he he straight up called me a turf and I had to kind of yeah, I had to kind of like have a sit down moment and explain to him like, hey, that's not OK. Like for these reasons, it's not okay. <laughs> um, you can't be. Could you could you
0: express those reasons? No, I, I oh like yeah, to those reasons.
1: Oh sure, like the fact that the word "turf" is used pretty much only for women, especially for lesbian women, especially especially for lesbian women who have an opinion about pretty much anything. Um, the word "turf" is used in association usually with violence and usually with threats and. Um, it's usually used as a word to disassociate from that person being human. Um, it's, like, uh, it's like when you call someone any other name, any other slur, and, you know, it's a way to take away their humanity and be able to say and feel horrible things towards that person without feeling bad about saying that or feeling that way towards a human.
0: Was him calling you a TERF in reference to your uh, beliefs or thoughts about society or about your own own self?
1: Um, A a little bit of both. Um, He had asked me um, why I was struggling to maintain relationships with other trans people. And I explained to him, like, well, because I'm detransitioned and I have certain beliefs about transition that are not widely agreed upon, Um, And he asked me about those beliefs. I expressed those beliefs. And then he was like, well, that's really turfy of you. I was like, Mm. okay.
0: (laughs) That's interesting that he slept. Um, It seems like that that was inappropriate for him to... Yeah. Unless you guys were specifically just having a political discussion, but in the context of therapy, that seems like he he messed up a little bit there.
1: He messed up a little bit, but we also we talked about it a lot, and he did apologize for it. So I, I have to give him credit. He apologized, and once I explained to him why that word is not okay, he seemed to get it. So he he apologized, and he wants to learn more.
0: Okay, do you do you feel? Why do you think the the LGBT community is so pro-trans at this moment in, in time where they, it seems like there's a tendency to shut down any sort of non-affirmative uh, discussion around it.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that the leaders within the LGBT community are corrupt. Um, and I think that some of them, don't realize that they have, um, their own best interests in mind. And some of them do, um, for some people it's, um, really about pushing for, um, the, the right to be in your face. You know, I, I kind of mentioned like that feeling of like pride you get when you are able to be like, yeah, screw you. I'm going to be here cause I deserve to be here. Like it's a great feeling when you're being encouraged by a whole bunch of other people. So I think that there's a lot of that kind of being recycled back into the community over and over and that that's kind of um, pushing out anyone who wants to be like, well, we need to also admit that while we deserve to be here and we can have pride in ourselves, we have flaws as a community and we need to discuss those flaws and we need to also figure out how are we going to move forward in the most constructive way. Um, But unfortunately, that requires taking a good hard look at what you're doing. And some of what you're doing may not be best for the entire community, even if it's best for yourself. So I think there's a lot of that going on. Um, I think, I know this is like a pretty stereotypical rad femme ideal but i think a lot of the community is being led by men um and not to say that women necessarily would do any better but i think Mm. that um being led specifically by one group in any kind of community if you're being led by one specific subgroup you're gonna put that subgroup above the rest
0: do you think it's sustainable? Do you think the the, the community uh, will fracture uh, or collapse upon itself or move past this in a or organic way?
1: Um, I think it's going to fall in on itself quite a bit. Um, I don't know if it's going to be enough to kind of start over um, because, I mean, we've seen with like uh, Yaniv and other people who are just so out there and so in your face about not giving a crap about the community <laughs> um, and yet there's still um, there still is no question about the community's rights and the community um, as a whole so I don't know if that sentence even makes sense but um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that over time enough incidents will occur that more and more people from within the community, especially like more trans people, are going to start speaking out about the issues they've been facing. And I think that's what's really gonna be key. Unfortunately, I don't think that the LGBT community is gonna listen to de-trans people quite as much as we hope um, on trans-related stuff. Um, And I wish that we could hear more from the, the L, the G, and the B, But um, I think right now we really just have to turn our hope on to trans people and hope that they can start becoming more critical of their community.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Well, thanks for your thanks for your time and thanks for your voice.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for interviewing me. And also, thank you very much for that very helpful video about what name to use for you. That was very instructional. I appreciated
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, I was, I was on vacation. I'm like. Okay, I have to. I'm am a media producer. I have my own YouTube channel. I should be able to make a video because I'm pretty sure that I say my name in every video. And then and then I looked at all, all my videos. I'm like, oh yeah, look at that. I say my name every time. So I just need to make that video and be snarky about it. <laughs> so thanks for the inspiration. Can yeah, I get that question. Quite a bit. It
1: was very snarky, and the whole time too, when you were like, <laughs> "We'll cross that bridge when we get there," and I'm like, "Whoa, that's vague." <laughs> oh. <Cool." laughs> it was good yeah though.
0: thanks for allowing me to be snarky
1: any no offense was meant <laughs> <laughs> no none taken all,
0: all Rachel, right Rachel, you have a good afternoon i'll let you know what happens uh with this okay thank you
1: so much uh yeah you have a good day benjamin and take care all right ciao Bye.